1: Welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, senior reporter at Hort Week. And this week I'm joined by Board Hill's managing director, Jay Goodard. Hi, Jay. Thank you for having us. And head of horticulture, Harry Baldwin. Hi, Harry. Hi, Rachel. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to delve into everything. Um, but first, I thought, in case of any of our listeners uh, haven't heard of Board Hill, um, It's a country garden set within 383 acres of heritage-listed parkland in West Sussex. It's got beautiful views, beautiful plants, and we're going to hear all about it from Jay and Harry. And so, Jay, you know the gardens, I think it's fair to say, pretty well. Um, (laughs) How long have your family been looking after Board Hill?
0: Um, So I'm the fifth generation of the Stevenson-Clark family to be taking over the reins at Board Hill. Um, So my great-great-grandfather, the colonel, Colonel Stevenson-Clark, first established the garden and our nationally important horticultural collection from 1893. Um, So it's actually our 130th anniversary this year. So um, yeah, we've we've been here for quite a while and hopefully we'll be here for another 130 years to go as well yeah absolutely. so did you grow up in the
1: gardens get to explore all its hidden crevices as a kid yes exactly
0: so yeah i um my my brother and I um moved in with my parents um when I was six, and my brother was four um and we've just actually myself and my husband have just taken over the reins and moved down with my boys, who happen also to be six and four. So it's a lovely kind of transition of that family heritage.
1: Yeah, how beautiful. I mean, what an amazing place. There's no better place to grow up, really, is there? No, indeed. And Harry, in comparison, you're fairly new, um, but you're certainly not mm-hmm. new to horticulture. And you've, you've had some pretty well-known um, gardens on your resume, including Kew. Uh, but what's your favourite part of your job at Board Hill?
2: Oh crikey that's a big question um,
1: <laughs> yeah sorry I mean, I'm diving in with a big one <laughs>
2: I mean there's just so many exciting elements, you know like I said, you know coming coming from a queue background where my my interest is is trees but also history, board Hill mm-hmm. really sort of was really my oh, thing perfect. it was yeah it was a perfect job to move to, and I think you know there's there's so many elements to board Hill, but of course all these exciting plants and trees that aren 't just necessarily in the garden but all across the wider estate um but it's really the archive that really keeps everyone on their toes and there's always new exciting new information coming out of this wonderful portal um you know which is telling us every week more and more um about our special garden
1: does it influence anything that you're doing in the future kind of looking back at those archives discovering new things
2: i mean yeah absolutely i mean so i mean I'd probably say that, I must probably just say that, you know, this is a really exciting archive. We've got about 75,000 artefacts which details things like um, just drawings, photos, um, even Letters from the very plant hunters in the Victorian era, yeah. writing to the colonel from the depths of China, attaching seed packets. Um, so you've got this really nice, interesting link between the archive uh, and the living plant collection. So you've got this wonderful narrative when you walk around, uh, walk around the garden. Mm. So every every now and again we're finding you know new old garden diaries which are detailing plant names some of which these plants no longer are sadly with us but there are plants still hidden away in those crevices waiting to be found which of course then informs us about propagation and then sharing that material with other important gardens around the country yeah of
1: course oh how exciting and we're going to delve into kind of some of the heritage collections that you can find in the garden a little bit later but i thought i would start off with quite an exciting visit you had recently Um, Adam Frost came right to come and film BBC Gardeners World so what is it that they took a specific interest in?
2: So I think Adam really wanted to find out you know what's really unique uh, about Board Hill what separates that from so many other gardens Um, and what I really wanted to get across was for me what makes it exciting is the fact it has been within the family for the last 130 years so we've got this this long-standing sort of stability and direction which is going forward, um, which just means that things are keeping to, to our ethos, if you like. Um, so that's that's really exciting. But then, underneath all of that, we've got all our champion trees. We've got in excess of seventy champion trees, the largest of their kind in the British Isles. Um, we've also got, you know, a large number of historic trees and shrubs as well collected from those plant hunters from many many years ago um, many of which are actually threatened now in the wild Um, but there's also another side of the of the whole thing is the fact that board hill is well known or certainly was well known for breeding uh, so many different plants um, probably between the 1920s and the 1950s and some of these are still very very well, I guess they're still famous today. They're still in the nurseries and, and internationally known uh, even today, which is kind of exciting. So, yeah, there's just so many elements to Board Hill, which just really makes it exciting. And I really wanted to try and get that across uh, to Garden as well. And fingers crossed I did. So do 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 stay tuned into our social media when it comes online.
1: Yeah, we will. And Jay, what were you hoping people will kind of get from watching or will get from watching that episode about Board Hill? What will they take away?
0: Um, I think... What makes Board Hill so special and um, I hope that the viewers of the programme really enjoy is just the kind of breadth and depth of our beautiful horticultural collection and the way that the garden is laid out as a series of garden rooms. There are just all these little pockets to discover with um, really different and unique plantings and plant species from all four corners of the world Um, and it's just wonderful, um, you know, this kind of journey of discovery that visitors can take through the garden and see plants from the himalayas you know china andes japan and um, the americas etc so i hope that um, viewers are able to really enjoy the beauty of the plantings um, that we have here um, by by watching the program
1: And you also were visited by BBC Radio 4's Gardener's Question Time. So it's been a busy time of year for you guys. Um, What were some of the most interesting questions that arose from that?
2: Um, It was was really interesting to see it actually in person, I must say. Um, It was really good fun. In fact, you kind of wanted to throw your hand up actually and and comment with almost every other (laughs) question. but there were so many questions really that came up you know things that are really current um so you know mm. there's always the the common question is what should i be using instead of my instead of my box what else can i use um you know for and for quite a few years now we've been you know Wisley, of course have done that fantastic trial uh, and it started to make headway and then of course we had the really hot summer last year followed by a really wet winter which has kind of turned everything upside down so it feels like we're almost starting again um, in trying to find what is actually the best replacement so that was a really interesting uh, discussion and i thought another really interesting point that someone mentioned was you know why are my flowering trees and shrubs you know the summer flowering trees and shrubs flowering so well this year and that was a really interesting thing uh, to be brought up because of course we had that long hot summer it meant that so much of the wood was ripened which has enabled them to flower so well but of course Flowering, you know, lots—a very proliferous tree—sometimes means that it could have its last hurrah. So it's well. I guess we'll see if things are going to pull through next year.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What uh, what is Board Hill doing in regards to box?
2: So we've been trialing something uh, like a euonymus. It's called Jean Hughes, and it's quite a small, vestigiate shrub. Um, small evergreen leaves. And it is actually doing pretty well. Well, it has certainly has done really well up until the winter when we had um, we had a really long late summer, which sort of lasted well into late November. So the wood was still ripening. And then suddenly we had a hard frost, which really took it back to the ground. So in hindsight, you know, we should, should have perhaps covered it. But you know, no one ha- no one really knows uh, how necessary, how hardy, or how robust this thing is. So it is proving to be a good replacement. But I think. It's important to start, we should have perhaps covered it up, I think, with some fleece just to get a bit of extra protection.
1: Mm. Well, now you know, it, it's trial and error for sure, isn't it? It is. So, Jay, although you're not new to Board Hill, you're, are you fairly new to this role as managing director?
0: Um, yes, so I've spent um, the last 20 years working in PR and marketing. Um, I was at Nike for 10 years and Apple for eight. Um, so I've officially taken over the role as managing director of Board Hill for the last 12 months. Um, But it's, you know, really exciting kind of going full circle and coming back to my roots um, and coming back to my home down at Board Hill.
1: Yeah it must be a dream job really and you recently announced some really ambitious and really exciting plans for the future of the gardens Um, and we will delve into those details in a second but I wonder if maybe you could start us off by kind of summarising what your ultimate vision is for Board Hill you know say if we were to jump ahead 10 years and land back in Board Hill what would be the biggest difference that we'd see?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, I think what's interesting about um, my vision for Board Hill in the future is that um, being a family estate, every generation has really left a legacy and left their mark. So my parents, for example, um, really brought Board Hill forward, um, made it much more of a commercial business, which is very much needed. Um, they focused on all year round colour. Um, and also really celebrating the best in British gardening by working with some of um, the most notable garden designers, um, both more established, such as Chris Beardshaw, but also um, young and up and coming. So Sophie Walker was the youngest female at the time to win um, RHS Chelsea. So um, throughout, by working with them, they've really collaborated to to bring new life into the garden rooms. And then looking forward under my tenure, um, we're really thinking about the 21st century and the challenges that actually all gardens face, but um, how we can connect communities more closely with nature. Um, There's so much um, written now and so much research that shows the mental and physical benefits of being outdoors in nature. And and we've got a hugely ambitious project, um, which is called Reinventing Board Hill. And it's very kindly supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Um, And that is all about connecting our local community with the beautiful setting of the South Park, which is 110 acres of listed heritage parkland, but with a key focus on wellbeing and education. Mm -hmm. um, Because we really think that those are the ways that we can engage more People with the beautiful setting that we have at Board Hill. Yeah, it's. I'm really interested to hear more about that South Park. But actually,
1: because you're you're opening that up, right, and trying to connect it to the local train station via a cycle and pedestrian route. So how will that work? Will they pay entry once they get you know to a certain point on that trail, or is it going to be
0: completely opened up? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we will and um, the benefit of the location of Board Hill is that we're just on the edge of Haywards Heath and Haywards Heath has, is um, the biggest commuter train station in the southeast so oh, there's that. a huge opportunity to reach um, a lot of people. So we will have um, we will open up South Lodge, which is on the southeastern corner of the estate, and that will enable people to walk or cycle from Hayward Street Station to Board Hill for the first time and walk straight on to the estate mm-hmm. um, through a little um, pay point entrance at South Lodge. Um, so it will make Board Hill one of the few Sussex gardens that will be accessible via green transport in terms of um, foot or bicycle. So we're really excited about... Um, unlocking the South Park for the 38,000 people in Haywards Heath, but actually people across the southeast and and further afield. Yeah, it
1: is really exciting. Is there anything that you need to do to the landscape to prepare for this change?
0: So we've been working um, very diligently in terms with our design team in terms of the plan to make sure that all of the um, enhancements that we make have as little impact as possible on the heritage listed landscape mm. um, so we're looking to improve existing paths as much as possible um, we're for example building um, what we're calling our eco lodge which will be our community hub it'll be a beautiful building and it will actually sit on the water of the lake yes,
1: um, amazing. that will
0: enable us to minimize the impact on the wider um, heritage listed parkland which surrounds it. Um, so we are thinking, we are being very mindful about um, the listed nature of of the setting.
1: Yeah. Harry, are there any tree species in particular going to keep an extra eye on?
0: Oh, crikey. There, there's there's loads in the
1: South Park.
2: <laughs> it's almost like... You a, need about a
1: thousand eyes. <laughs> I know.
2: That's the thing. Yes. Yeah, so I know there's some really exciting trees down there. Um, you know, so many trees that are, you know, just are just so unknown. You know, there's just many, there's very little other um replicas if you like in in, in the, throughout the country so you know and a number of them are champion trees as well so right now we're doing a really big inventory not just across the south park but across the garden and the estate as a whole trying to understand you know what do we have you know what is in poor health Um, What do we need to propagate? So that should give us then a list of priorities about what we should be propagating and then putting it back into the landscape, you know, for those to enjoy and and for education, really.
1: What are some of those examples from standout species?
2: Oh, crikey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I would probably say... Well, in the garden, for example, we have a really exciting um, tree called a Liriodendron chinensi. Um, and most people always think of of the American tulip tree, but there is a sort of a counterpart. There's a species also found in Asia that was only really kind of discovered by the West in about a hundred years ago. So Ernest Wilson in 1901 was sent by beach nurseries to collect a number of these seeds. Uh, And he came back and he sent them over to the nursery where they grew a number of saplings and would have shared them and sold them across Europe. we were lucky enough at the time to get hold of a a young sapling Um, and then a couple of things about 15-20 years later uh, it then flowered and it was known that board hill had the very first flowering specimen outside of its native range and ernest wilson actually wrote to the colonel personally congratulating him and how excited he was to hear about it Um, so there's just so many interesting trees across the estate that have stories and that's, for me, that's what really excites me and what I really want to get across to the visitor is there's always so much more um, than just a flower or ornamental value. Mm. There's, there's a whole backstory about how these plants came into cultivation and have been used uh, medicinally, they've been used ethnobotanically, um, you know, for so many, many, many years.
1: Yeah, I I actually had the pleasure of having a tour of the gardens with you. And I I know you mentioned then you have to be so careful not to just take things out because, like you say, everything seems to have a story and something that might not look like it's important could have a really big connection to, to the history of the family.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, even when we find more information from the archive um you know oh there's supposed to be a very small little shrub in the corner of the estate you know so I'm always very apprehensive about anyone taking anything out really even if it looks (laughs) scrawny and horrible you know I think I would rather leave it and you know and just find out um Mm. so yeah I think being I always tell the gardeners to be cautious
1: (laughs) yeah that's definitely a good approach yeah so, Jay, you mentioned the Eco Lodge, um, and I know that it's also going to offer opportunities for wild swimming and yoga, which sounds so idyllic. I think you'll catch me there one day. <laughs> um, and I know it's ticking that wellbeing box that you really want to, to look at. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to find out what kind of preparations need to made, be made in that area before the, the public can enjoy it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Eco Lodge will very much be the hub um, in the heart of the South Park for visitors to enjoy the wider landscape around it. Um, it will actually be built by with Site One timber um, from the estate. So really thinking about sustainability and, and kind of best practice. Um, it will have three key spaces. It will have a community space in the middle. Um, a well-being space um, to the right for yoga, mindfulness and prayer. Um, as you say, we will have wild swimming in the lake itself. Um, and then it will also have a cafe, which will serve biodynamic f- um, food and fruit and vegetables grown oh, cool. on the estate. Um, so from the Eco Lodge, uh, we will then have um, walking trails around the South Park, enabling our visitors to uh, enjoy and learn about um, our champion trees and a lot of the history um, throughout the landscape. Um, And then we will have a dedicated space for um, outdoor learning within Dinosaur Wood. Yes,
1: that's really exciting. And I know that's another huge thing you want to push, kind of getting kids interacting with nature.
0: Yes, exactly. I'm really excited. I'm a a mum of two young boys and, you know, I see firsthand just really how they thrive um, being outside in nature and just the wonder of childhood. And, you know, there's a real um, eagerness to learn. Um, So we're really excited about unlocking um, dinosaur wood and creating this forest of learning where children of all ages will be taken on a journey through the evolution of time, from the time of the dinosaurs to the present day. Um, And through outdoor learning and play, we can teach them so much um, about nature, the natural world, um, but also working closely with local schools, groups and charities, it's been fascinating um, to hear from teachers, for example, you know, science, math, geography. There's so many um, areas of the national curriculum that we can actually facilitate in an outdoor setting rather than be um, in a more traditional classroom setting. So we're really excited about, yeah, Dinosaur Wood being this real hub of, of learning and exploration.
1: Yeah, and I, as well as being great for kind of their mental wellbeing and their education, I think it's just great for our industry as well. I think a lot of people who've come into this industry came into it because they had that very early interaction with nature um and and loved it
0: yeah exactly and I think the more we can educate and uh, kind of hopefully build an appreciation for nature I think the more people will respect it and care for their natural settings so absolutely if we can foster future generations that are passionate about our natural world that's only ever going to be a good thing
1: yeah absolutely and harry how much can we expect from the landscape how much of it will be landscaped so to speak and how much of it is just what's there naturally and you're kind of managing the footfall around that
2: yeah i mean obviously we have the eco lodge you know coming online which will be an infrastructure but i think the nice thing about the south park is in one sense it kind of won't be changing um, the spirit is very much going to be there but the only thing we will change is perhaps how we manage the site so, you know, we are still a few years away so perhaps ideas will change but it gives us the opportunity to think about things like restoring, you know, perhaps a Wilden Meadow in the South Park which again can be another great edu- you know, outdoor classroom or thinking about how we can really manage our woodlands you know, again, for education and, and, and being space um, but the South Park just naturally lends itself to being because it has so much soft infrastructure, you know, like Jay said, we have these wonderful native woodlands. And yes, we do have, you know, a couple of, you know, non native species. But again, that's a great way to talk about, you know, how the world is changing. So, you know, the site as a whole just lends itself perfectly for for the for this sort of reinventing Board Hill stage. And what better as well, the fact there's actual dinosaur bones, or was, inside dinosaur wood. So Really? <laughs> oh, is was. that where
1: it gets its name from?
2: Yeah, that's right. So in the early 1800s, um, when they were, it's an old, it's also, it was previous no, name was known as Stone Pit, because it's a, essentially a small, old quarry. And in the early 1800s, mm. they found... Uh, It's one of the earliest uh, dinosaur bones of the Iguanodon, um, which the family has still got today. And Mr. Clark bought out the bones to me, massive, great big (laughs) thigh bone, put it on the table, you know, so it's got, you know, it's not just called dinosaur wood for a reason, you know, it actually had dinosaur bones there. So, um, you know, it's a great space to start thinking about, you know, uh, flowering plants, you know, the evolution of that. So it's just a really exciting outdoor space.
1: Yeah, so much potential. Um, But of course, it's not just about looking ahead. I know the history of the gardens is also incredibly important, as we kind of touched upon at the the top of the podcast. So what are some of the standout historical specimens in the garden? I know that's going to be a really, really hard question.
2: Oh, crikey. Um... It's always a difficult <laughs> one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> very difficult.
2: Um, I mean, probably the most obvious one for me is—I uh, think I must have shown you Rachel on our tour—is is the Eminoptris Henry Henryi. Um, yes. And this was first—well, dis- it was first brought back by Ernest Wilson. Um, but we've got a George Forrest collection in the garden, which was planted in the early 1920s but it was made known by Ernest Wilson as the most beautiful, most proliferous and fragrant tree um, of the Chinese forests. So when that word got around to the West, everyone was very excited to get hold of some seeds and some plants. So when Board Hill managed to get a small plant into the azalea ring, um, the Colonel was really excited to of course see this tree thrive and flower. But Mm. sadly, um, he died before managing to see it flower. And then the second generation, also knowing about how beautiful this tree is in the Chinese forest, it also um, sadly didn't flower in his lifetime. And nor did the third generation. But it was actually in it was actually Mr. and Mrs. Clark's Jay's mother and father's time that it actually flowered mm-hmm. almost hundred years later, in two thousand and eleven, um, which is a real curiosity. You know, no one really knows why um, it you know has taken so long to flower in a British climate. Um, So when it flowered in 2011, we had all the press... We had all the press here. We had the scaffolding, uh, everyone climbing up, and there was actually only one small little flower at the very top of the tree. <laughs> um, but it was still a real monumental moment to have that first flower. And then mm-hmm. every two to three years, we would then get more and more flowers. And there was a fantastic flush of flower in two thousand and twenty-one. Um, so it, it is an interesting tree, and as again, it's another one of those trees that is now sadly threatened um, in its native habitat. So. You know, trees like the eminopterus or other trees that are sort of are important found in gardens across the country are, you know, sort of genetic banks uh, of of special information that, you know, many of these trees can't be saved in seed banks like the Wakehurst Millennium Seed Bank. So, you know, growing them in living collections like Board Hill and other major gardens are incredibly important for saving that information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jay, do you have any favourites in the garden
0: um, well I was just going to add to um Harry's comments around the eminotris, Henry I just to say that um we launched a rebrand at the beginning of this season and it was quite a big challenge to choose one plant or specimen um from the extensive collection that we have across the garden and the wider estate um, and we spent a long time um thinking about um, what specimen might really embody um, our heritage, but really kind of what can we celebrate for the future? And we did choose the mm-hmm. Henry Eye for our new logo um, as a demonstration of celebrating that heritage, but really thinking about how we stay fresh and relevant for the future. So, yeah, definitely the Henry Eye would be up there as as one of our particularly special. But, I mean, at Board Hill, we really do have important collections across so many different, so rhododendrons, camellias, azaleas... Mm. Uh, Magnolias, I think probably the magnolias would want to be one of my favourite. There are some amazing specimens and there are over 100 um, across the estate. Um, There are three champions in the Garden of Valor, um, two from Japan and one from China, and they are particularly impressive when they're in flower.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that that story about the tree waiting for it to bloom for generations, it kind of speaks to what it means to be a gardener and also to be a custodian of a place like Board Hill, I suppose you're not necessarily doing these things for you to benefit yourself, but you know, for future generations. So quite a nice thing to pick
0: to kind of represent you. Yes, exactly. And I think um, the way that we approach the garden um, and planning for the future is very much thinking in decades and centuries rather than just in months and yeah. years because obviously you know that's reflective of, of nature as well and um, some of the trees standing across this state have been here for many hundreds of years so it's important that we continue p- to protect them for, for the future centuries as well.
1: Yeah definitely and one of those threats is of course the effects of climate change so are, are there any species you're particularly concerned about considering that?
2: yeah I mean last year was a really interesting one because it you know it has given us some insight into perhaps what we should be thinking about yeah. but I think at board Hill, what really suffered and it was really sad to see was was our heritage uh, rhododendron collection wow. um certainly those that have haven't really got a canopy layer covering them because you know there are woodland there are woodland species that need to have you know moisture they need to have a good canopy to in order for them to to thrive uh, and some areas. You know we don't sadly have that um, so what we're trying to do is think about long term what can we do to to look after these for the future but what can we do immediately now um, so right now you know we're thinking about propagation um, we're also considering micro propagation for those that are hard to to propagate vegetatively um, but I'm also trying to consider like long term what can we do in these areas uh, in order to conserve the mother plants so in the garden we're lucky enough to have some really nice large very nice canopy oaks and i've been collecting a number of acorns of good specimens that will hopefully have good traits in their second generation so i've been sowing a number of these acorns and long deep root trainers um, and I'm planning on sort of growing them on for a few years in order to plant them in, you know, in these areas for to to produce a good canopy layer above these rhododendrons. So that's sort of my plan. Mm. You know, people might think, oh, that's going to take a long time because oaks take a long time to grow. But actually, you know, when they're young and juvenile, it doesn't take long for them to get to 10, 15, 20 feet high. Mm. It's only when they reach, you know, that sort of age when they start to slow down. So... I think, you know, using a native tree is going to be ideal for helping to save our collection um, as well, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, and you do have to kind of think on your feet, move, move with the times, move with the conditions as a gardener. Um, and I, I believe you recently changed the way the rose garden is maintained. Is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. So at Board Hill, we're sort of very proud to be organic. You know, we don't want mm. to use any agrochemicals or anything like that. So, um, obviously, that does come with a price. You know, we have, to, we have to constantly monitor the roses, you know, for things like black spot and things like that. But there are many cultural practices we can do. You know, in the winter, when we start to thin them out and we give them a prune, you know, that's great for airflow, minimising pests and diseases. Um, but what we've been trying to do, uh, you know, of course, there's other practices like mulching as well, retain the moisture, keeping the weeds down. Um, but, you know, the rose garden is generally, you know, any rose gardens a monoculture because you're just growing roses. But what's important yeah. is to then involving other plants, thinking about companion planting, you know, encouraging good beneficial insects like ladybirds lacewings um so we've got a number of perennial borders surrounding the rose garden in order to keep on top uh, of some of those nasty bugs that we don't want our roses Mm. um so yeah we're trying to just be as as healthy as we possibly can uh, in our rose garden and just across the estate as a whole
1: yeah absolutely jay have you noticed a difference in that rose garden yet obviously the new borders are a big change
0: yeah indeed and and the box replacement um is actually beautiful it's yeah i I actually like the slightly less formal um feel that the new box replacement Mm. has added um but i mean the rose garden is such a beautiful setting it's got 750 um different roses rose plants within it and that tranquility that is brought by the partner planting around the formal formality of the roses it creates a really beautiful setting um, but I was just going to add to what Harry um, mentioned around the importance of um, organic principles, because um, that is um, very much a thread and a pillar that we continue across the wider estate, um, both mm-hmm. in terms of regenerative farming, but also um, through biodynamics. Um, so we've established a new growers project at Selgwerth Farm, which is an, one of our farms, um, and that's the site of our market garden. So we're growing biodynamic fruit and vegetables. Um, for our future restaurants, but also um, for um, local restaurants and farm shops, etc. So, yeah, a biodynamic approach, really working with the land, with plants and with nature um, is very much true to all of us at Broad Hill.
1: Are there any kind of other changes to the maintenance of the garden that you two both would love to see going forward? It sounds like you're doing a lot of innovative stuff, but is there anything kind of on the list that you'd love to try out?
2: Uh, Do you mean in terms of thinking about climate change and things like that, Rachel?
1: Yeah, climate change. If there's any other like new practices that you've heard of that you'd love to try out that are kind of very sustainable, kind of in that in that realm of of work.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're experimenting really all the time. Um, you know, and things are always surprising us. You know, we sort of think, oh, you know, that shouldn't be working that sort in that sort of in that sort of, in, in that sort of climate, or you know, these strong summers that we're getting now. But you know, things are surprising us, but. One thing, you know, like we touched on earlier, we think in decades. So really thinking, you know, what is going to be growing well in 10 years time, but also thinking about pests and diseases. Mm. You know, we've got, you know, well over a thousand different pests and pathogens that are sadly now in the UK, which are causing havoc amongst our plants and our gardens and our native wildlife. So really being careful about what we choose to plant is so incredibly important now. Uh, one thing we planted recently for the Queen's Green Canopy Project is uh, Ulmus new Horizon. Now, of course, sadly, you know we lost so many of our mature elms uh, across the British Isles, um, you know, many, many years ago, back in the 1950s. And now there's starting to be new strains and new new types of elms coming in, uh, which are resistant to Dutch elm disease. So we planted one called New Horizon recently, which still allows the white-letter-streaked butterfly, which is rare to the UK, so it still enables um, it's still a good it's, you know, despite being a hybrid, it still actually has a place in our native habitat, so I think it 's just thinking carefully about what we are planting uh, for the future really
0: yeah Jay,
1: did you have anything to
0: add to that um yeah, I was just going to add that I think um, another way that board Hill is um, really special and unique is that we have um, our garden council. Um so for nearly a hundred years we've had a, a you know a, a board of individuals who are the you know arguably the best across the garden horticultural world. Um we've got members from Kew, Wakehurst, um Royal Botanic, Cambridge, Edinburgh, and gardens across the country. And to, um, we meet quarterly at Board Hill. Um, but that just brings such a wealth of knowledge um in terms of sharing ideas and best practice. I think something that's really wonderful about the horticultural world is that enthused, that shared enthusiasm and you know really putting the plants first and wanting to share ideas and best practices across those different gardens you know so that the, you know the plants ultimately survive um as well as they can so sharing different specimens sharing seeds um that we discover etc so yeah we're really lucky that we've got that um wealth of knowledge to help guide us in terms of best practice and adapting to future challenges
1: yeah yeah that is it is definitely an amazing thing about the industry it's kind of like if you succeed we all succeed everyone yeah no one's closed off are that they all want to kind of share what they know you almost can't stop them um, and um, share that passion and, and knowledge it's great well it has been so interesting to touch on on some of the things you guys are doing we also did an article with you so if anybody wants to know a bit more then they can find that on Hort week um or, you know, do reach out with more questions if you have them. Um, my last question is one we always ask our guests. And that is, what plant would you take to a desert island? I don't know who wants to kick us off.
2: Um, I'll, I'll take it off. I'm probably a little bit nerdy with this question. Um, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so for, I think for me, you know, of course, there's going to be so many things I like to take to a desert island. But I think if I was to think back to my roots about what really got me into botanical horticulture was probably when I was working at the Sir Howard Hillier Gardens that have a fantastic collection um, of oak trees but when I was working Mm -hmm. under this this tree that I was unfamiliar with um, you know it had beautiful dark brown furrowed bark and it had really thick, bilate evergreen leaves. And I remember looking at the label and it said Quercus rhizophylla. And I remember reading up about it and I didn't realise that there was more than 500 different species of oaks um, across the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, but this particular one came from Mexico, which I had no idea. Um, and it's such a beautiful plant that um you know people should be planting more of because mexican oaks are again another great tree to be planting uh for the future um so i'd probably say Quercus risophylla would be one of my would one of my desert island plants
0: amazing amazing choice jay um so i'm going to choose the alfred Colom rose um, i absolutely love roses i think they are such Beautiful plants that really give throughout the season, um, and you know, relatively easy to maintain. Um, we've obviously got such a beautiful collection of roses in the rose garden here, but the Alfred Column, especially, um, is meaningful to me. Uh, we actually planted one. Um, my firstborn son is called Alfred, so oh, um, it's lovely. a special, a special rose to me in terms of our family. But yeah, I just the, it's such a beautiful color, um, and it's definitely something that would me happiness on my desert island (laughs) yeah absolutely well the rose garden is named after you so i think that's very fitting that
1: you picked that (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on the podcast i am so excited to see how this all progresses and especially since you guys are kind of on my
0: doorstep so you'll probably see me trudging through the south park at some point um in the future thank you so much for having us rachel we're really excited about um this next chapter at board hill and um if any of the listeners would like to find out more um, please do visit our website. We're really excited about reinventing Board Hill, but it is a hugely ambitious project, and we do have a significant amount of um, partner funding to raise. So, any support um, that the listeners can give, we'd be hugely grateful as we enter this next chapter.
1: I'm Rachel Forsyth and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Horticulture Week, email us at hortweek at haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to Jay and Harry and goodbye for now.